Welcome back to North Idaho Now. This is episode 163 for September 6th. Chance Watson bring you the news today. And this episode is brought to you by Andy's Heating and Cooling, new sponsor to the show. Andy's Heating and Cooling has been selling and installing furnaces, air conditioners, fireplaces, barbecues, and much more in new and existing homes since 1972. Fifty years later, Andy's Heating and Cooling is still doing business the old-fashioned way with a handshake. Come and visit Andy's showroom at 7800 North Government Way in Coeur d'Alene, which features all the latest wood-fired stoves, pellet stoves, and gas stoves from Quadrifire, Heatilator, and Heat and Glow. Heat and Glow, I like that, I like that name. Andy's also carries the, carries the big green egg smokers and grills. Join the Andy's Heating and Cooling team on Friday, September 16th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturday from September 17th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. to celebrate 50 years of operation in North Idaho with special deals, grilled and smoked food, and raffles. Uh, folks, I just got to say, just came back from Andy's Heating and Cooling up there. Uh, got to got to chat with Andy himself, Andy Jr., uh, so to speak, uh, the new, uh, the current owner of the place. And uh, that that is... You know, you walk into a showroom and you see all the cool toys just everywhere. I think that's one of those places where you can just walk in and they do such a great job of showing everything off. Um, very first time I've ever seen barbecues with lit handles or like knobs, like heating knobs. Um, and they even change color when they're turned on. So like when you turn them on, they turn red. Uh Definitely makes me feel like we're in the future. We are in the future, technically speaking. Um, but it's you know, at first I was, oh, it's kind of gimmicky. But no, um, when he's like, oh no, this turns color when it's on. You can make sure that's still on. okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, very cool place. Very cool people. Um, locally owned and operated. Uh, that's that's awesome nowadays. So good to hear. Good people over at Andy's. Um, excited to be doing some stuff with them for the anniversary coming up here. Uh, they'll be sponsoring the show for the next few no, few couple. No, yeah. Two or three, three or four episodes coming up here. So um, be sure to swing by Andy's and uh, and check out what they got if you're looking for fireplaces or barbecues or anything like that. Uh, we got a lot of news to get to today, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize in advance. I was well, not in advance. That's it's already happened. Can't can't apologize for something that hasn't happened. It's already happened. Uh, I was sick on Friday. I could not make it in. So uh, those who are looking to get the news. Uh, last Friday, uh, we're, we're very disappointed. I apologize for that, listeners. We are going to make it up for you today by getting through all of those. So we are going to cut the the small talk here in the beginning to a minimum. Uh, nothing really. I hope everybody had a great weekend. I had a good Labor Day weekend as well. was able to get around to some stuff. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but moving is incredibly stressful. Uh, <laughs> going from a third-story apartment to another third-story apartment is never fun. And... Uh, slowly unpacking and getting everything out uh, is can be time consuming. So I was finally able to get some free time and get around to that. So that was that was super fun. Even had even had a lazy day. Whoa, a lazy day. That never happens. That doesn't nobody. Nobody's got time for that. Nobody has time for lazy days anymore. But when you have cloudy days, kind of like we did on on Saturday, it kind of puts you in that relaxed mood of like, okay, I'm not I don't have the pressure to go out and do something. I can kind of relax. And, and Labor Day weekend's also that weekend where you're allowed to where you're allowed to kick back, maybe go outside a little bit, enjoy the last little bits of summer. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, I'm really excited for fall. Um, I'm not gonna already start jumping on the Halloween bandwagon at the moment. It's a little too early for that. Even though, even though I am seeing Halloween and Christmas decorations already on sale in local stores. Um, very many mixed feelings about that. I do love Halloween, but come on, it's 
We just got into September. Like we're not even in October yet, folks. We're just wanting to prolong. Pro- hey, all right. Maybe maybe if we're just trying to prolong the Halloween season. Hackle Mining Company is a leading low-cost silver producer with operating silver mines in Alaska, Idaho, and Mexico, and is a growing gold producer with operating mines in Quebec, Canada, and Nevada. They are the largest primary silver producer in the U.S., responsible for one-third of the silver produced in our nation. Their philosophy is to operate mines safely by promoting a deeply rooted value-based culture, leveraging mining skills developed over the company's long history, and by innovating new practices. To learn more about Hecla Mining Company, please visit HeclaMining.com. All right, without further ado, let's jump into Coeur Post Falls Press headline, starting with Wednesday, August 31st. Headline, Fair Sense Attendance Record. This is by Bill Buley. When the North Idaho State Fair closed its gates Sunday, it was time for Alexia Jordan and team to take a well-earned rest. Boy, I looking at those people, they worked their butts off. No, they worked their asses off. You know, we haven't used our one cuss word in a while. We're, we're guaranteed one. They worked their asses off to put that put that event on. It was a short rest because planning is already underway for next year. Quote, I'm so proud to be a part of a group of people who just want to continually seek to improve, said Jordan General Manager and CEO of the annual event that has set attendance record for a 10th day run for August 18th to the 27th. The North Idaho State Fair saw 168,567 guests come to the Kootenai County Fairgrounds this year, a 9% increase. It also set a single-day record of about 18,000 visitors Saturday. Jordan said while they were confident of a good year, uh, confident for a good year, the numbers were higher than anticipated. Quote, we didn't expect to see that much growth in the area, she said. She attributed this success to the variety of activities, attractions, and exhibits the fair offers, along with commitment to maintaining tradition. Quote, it still holds that rural charm, Jordan said. The rodeo, as usual, was a fan favorite, and kids and adults enjoyed the rides. The 4-H critters and contest, uh, contests commanded crowds, and the concerts did well, despite a heat wave with temperatures in the 90s. She said they'll stick with the 10-day format that was introduced last year, a change from the usual 5-day. Next year's fair is already set for August 18th to the 27th. The theme hasn't been determined yet, but Jordan and team are working on it. Yeah, uh, I am definitely a sucker for the fair. Uh, I usually don't go out and become huge fans of like certain events, uh, you know, thing, a- annual things. Um, this was super, super cool. Uh, they did a great job. Can't say enough good things about the fair and, and the people that are running. it. Moving on, CDA schools levy fails. This is by Devin Weeks. The Coeur d'Alene School District's $8 million per year, 10-year safety and maintenance levy failed to reach 55% voter approval needed for the levy to pass Tuesday night. Results from the Kootenai County Elections Office, with 100% of precincts reporting, showed 5,381 people, 50.27%, voted to approve the levy request, while 5,323, or 49.73%, voted against it. Quote, Although we didn't receive the outcome we were hoping for, we will continue the conversation with our community about the financial support needed to ensure our schools are safe and secure, learning and teaching environments for our students and staff, said Coeur d'Alene Superintendent Sean Hawker. The plumber Worley Joint School District had a win at the polls. Voters passed its $627,500 per year, two-year supplemental request with 480 votes, or 58.68%, in favor and 338, or 41.32%, against. The supplemental, supplemental levy needed 50% voter approval to pass. The funds will be used to help enhance safety and security measures and and maintenance projects, as well as support athletic programming and staffing needs. Quote, it's going to be nice to put this behind us because we've been working on that for the last eight months, trying to educate folks. Plumber Worley Superintendent Russ Mitchell said Tuesday night, 
Plummer Worley attempted a supplemental Alavi election earlier this year that failed after receiving only 46% voter approval. Well, it's good to support schools, but uh, at the end of the day, that's coming down to the voters. Um, I've always been curious about the supermajority. Um, I don't it because not only not only just the concept in general is kind of strange, but it also varies depending on the school districts. Uh, riding out in Shoshone for for so many years, uh, that was always like a sixty six percent. So um, you know, this is a little lower for Coeur d'Alene. But yeah, no, I never really understood the super majority. I don't, I don't get that. If you you know fifty fifty plus one, that's usually how things go in an election. But you know what? That's that's how it goes. Moving on, Thursday, September first, commissioners slash assessors pay. This is by Kay Thornbrew. Citing both a failure and an inability to perform the duties of his office, county commissioners made the unprecedented decision Wednesday night to cut Kootenai County Assessor Bela Kovacs' salary in half. Effective for August for October 1st, rather, Kovacs' salary will drop from about 90000 per year to 45000 per year. Boy, that is a hefty pay cut. Commissioners voted unanimously to cut the assessor's pay during a public hearing, where they are also voted to approve a $120 million budget for fiscal year 2023. The board is expected to formally adopt the budget today. So that was last Wednesday. Kovacs was appointed to the office of Kootenai County Assessor in May of 2020 after the death of Assessor Rich Hauser. He won the Republican primary election for the office in May. Bob Scott, Kovacs' opponent in the primary and the residential lead appraiser for the assessor's office, announced Wednesday that he's filed to run in November as a write-in candidate. Commissioner Chris Filio said Wednesday that county employees and other elected officials have approached the board with, quote, grave concerns about Kovacs' performance. Before the primary election, 34 county employees signed a statement of no confidence in Kovacs' ability to lead the assessor's office. Oh, boy. Following the completion and, ma- and mailing of the annual property value assessments in June, which initiated 700 requests for appeals from property owners, Kovacs' office missed deadlines to provide the values to Kootenai County Clerk Jim Brannon. Kovacs has ultimately delivered the 2022 property values to Brandon's office more than a month late with a disclaimer that says, quote, there appears to be an imbalance on this role. Yikes. Brandon said the situation was unprecedented. Filio said commissioners have discussed the co- with Kovacs his, fa- his failure to perform statutory duties, but Kovacs has, quote, refused to take any responsibility for his performance. Quote, I've never denied responsibility, not once, Kovacs told commissioners. Since his appointment, he said he's worked to update antiquated systems and processes within his office. Quote, I've been asked to fix a system in two years that took many, many years to build, he said. Commissioners voted unanimously to approve the fiscal year 2023 budget, which projects collecting the full 3% increase in property tax revenue printed by law. Personal costs make up the bulk of the budget, about $83 million from the $120 million total. Those costs include an approximate 6% li- a cost of living adjustment wage for increase in all county employees, wage study, and cost of living increases total around $8.1 million. Filio said the pay increases are past due and necessary to retain and attract employees. The county has 127 open positions. Boy, that is tough to run any business or government entity with 127 open positions. Um, so, yeah, that's that's hitting the, the last thing first. Um, yeah, uh, you know. When you come when it when it comes to government positions, it's kind of you have a little less leeway on everything because you you answer to I mean your bosses are the people who are voting for you into these, especially when you're elected official. So, um, boy, cutting ninety thousand I mean ninety thousands already, you know, decent salary, uh, going to forty five. Boy, that is that is a cut. 
So uh, maybe the point has gotten across, uh, though I'm, I, I would say that I'm probably not hopeful that things will get better, unfortunately. But I could be wrong. Hope for the best, plan for the worst. Moving on, commissioners choose Mortensen for prosecutor. This also by Kay Thornbrew. County commissioners voted 2-1 Wednesday to appoint Stanley Mortensen to the office of Kootenai County Prosecuting Attorney. Mortensen, who has 10 years of prosecutorial experience, boy, that's a word, will take office after Barry McHugh resigns September 30th. McHugh is set to take to the bench in January, replacing Judge Lansing Haynes, who retired in May. Bill Brooks and Chris Filios voted in favor of Mortensen, while Leslie Duncan opposed. Commissioners chose Mortensen from th- among three candidates recommended by the Kootenai County Republican Central Committee. Because, uh, because McHugh is a Republican, the, the county GOP is empowered to nominate his potential replacements. Mortensen of Post Falls is a Kootenai County prosecutor who got his start as a detention deputy with the Kootenai County Sheriff's Office. While working for the Sheriff's Office, he graduated from North Idaho College and Lewis and Clark State College. He became a patrol deputy before leaving law enforcement to enter law school. Mortensen said he believes local police listen to him more than they do other lawyers because he has a background in law enforcement. Quote, I was at the police academy listening to a lawyer tell me how to do my job when they'd never done my job, he said. Still, Mortensen said his experience as a police officer doesn't mean he's biased in favor of police. Mortensen said he plans to use social media as a tool to communicate with the public and intends to continue using personal accounts to keep in touch with family. Retaining experienced lawyers in the civil and criminal divisions is a top priority, Mortensen said. That means good, though not extravagant wages. Quote, none of us prosecute because we want to become rich, he said. He also said he committed to running for re-election in 2024. Uh, that's a good point that he makes uh, with Mortensen. Uh, you, know, you can have you can have good cops, um, but if if you know it's it's always this uh, this cycle between law enforcement and the prosecution team, where you know uh, law enforcement has to has to get them, but prosecution can only work with what they're with the evidence that they're given. Um, so and and vice versa, you know, law enforcement always say, you know, we we send them to them, but we're not the ones that actually you know put them in jail at the end of the day. Um, that's the prosecutors. So um, that needs to be a good healthy relationship. And you know, on the surface, I definitely see. Uh, somebody with the with both of those backgrounds could could be an asset. So definitely, definitely, hopefully a good thing right there. Moving on, remembering loved ones lost to drugs. This is a quick story by Bill Buley. About 25 people came out for a candlelight vigil hosted by the Panhandle Health District in the Kootenai Recovery Community Center in remembrance of those lost to the drug overdo- to drug overdose. The vigil was held on International Over- Overdose Awareness Day. There were 353 bags with battery powdered tea lights lined up on the steps of Independence Point next to the dark waters of Lake Coeur d'Alene. Each stood for an Idahoan who died of a drug overdose last year. Tess Reeser, executive director of the Kootenai Recovery Community Center, said they hope to raise awareness that many are battling drugs and that they are not alone. Quote, let them know that people care, that our community cares, she said. Drug victims are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, she said. They made mistakes, Reeser said, as do all people. Quote, it's unfortunate they didn't get to live the lives they deserve to live. Josh Erickson with KRCC said it's important to reach out and, quote, be there for others as best we can be. Some fought back tears during a moment of silence and cried again as they recalled friends and family who died of an overdose. Reeser said those who died of drugs are gone, but live on in our hearts. And that, she said, can never be taken away. Yep, it's good to, uh, drug ugh, drug abuse is definitely an issue that is prevalent in our communities. And uh, as somebody who has uh, watched people go through it, 
it's it's not pretty. So um, if you're if you're out there struggling right now, go seek help. There's lots of resources, and uh, you're you're never alone on that front. Moving on, Friday, September second, Hayden amends approves lower levy request amount. This by Devin Weeks. I propose levy seeking additional funding for law enforcement in Hayden will be on the ballot November 8th, but it will be a far, but for a lower amount than originally approved by the city council in August. During a special Tuesday evening council meeting, council members passed a motion to amend the levy amount from 597843 to 543843 Boy, just... Awesome numbers. Love reading numbers on this show, gang. So good. A difference of $54,000. Council members Roger Saderfield and Ed DePriest voted in favor of the change. Council President Matt Roeder voted against it. Sandra White was absent. The new levy amount was determined after City Administrator Brett Boyer negotiated with Kootenai County Sheriff Bob Norris on funding needs. The agreed-upon amount removed seasonal overtime and 911 pay, but will still allow for six new deputies to cover Hayden. Quote, those proposed changes would result in a reduction of 29000 and 25000 respectively, which is currently being paid for, Boyer stated in a memo to the mayor and city council. The amended levy will add an estimated $16.21 per $100,000 of taxable assessed property value to property owners to tax bills quote i do not support increasing property taxes to pay for growth Roder said during the meeting i do support paying for growth with impact fees impact fees are charged to builders and developers to pay for the impacts of growth hidden citizens should not be burdened with the cost of growth the attorneys from lake city law group who represent the city said impact fees cannot be used for salaries which is what the levy funds will be used for saterfield said he agrees with rotor about paying for growth but the need for more law enforcement officers in hayden is happening now quote i think it's up to the people to determine if they want to tax themselves saterfield said i love these kinds of things we often do not get the choice on whether we want to tax ourselves and this is a clear choice the levy override request will require a 60% supermajority to pass at the polls. Such an arbitrary number, aside, in, my, in my own personal opinion. I, sometimes I just don't get that. The amended ballot language was also approved during the meeting, with Sainterfield and DePriest voting in favor and Roeder voting against. Moving on, taxing – oh, real quick on that. I mean, we've we've talked about it on this show almost at nauseum every time we talk about the subject. But yeah, I mean, Hayden's growing. It only makes sense that you need more, more law enforcement presence. Totally makes sense. Moving on, taxing districts threaten to sue Kootenai County. This is by Bill Buley. 20 taxing districts are threatening to sue Kootenai County over Treasurer Steve Matheson's decision that the county will keep penalties and interests associated with delinquent property taxes. Quote, the taxing districts are now asking the commissioners to take action to overturn the decision. If the decision stands, the taxing districts are ready to take the matter to the state commission for a full investigation and, if necessary, to bring a legal action against the county and the treasurer, says a letter from the taxing districts including the cities of Coeur d'Alene, Post Falls, Hayden and Rathdrum, among many others. Quote, in our view, this decision is contrary to the law and the justifications presented by the treasurer are utterly without merit, the letter states. Matheson, in a phone interview with the press on Wednesday, said he did not plan on changing his mind. The county previously distributed a share of penalties and interest to the taxing districts. For some districts, that's thousands of dollars and part of their budgets. Idaho Code provides that the county can collect, quote, costs, late charges, and interests whenever a delinquency exists. The press on Tuesday reported that Matheson pointed to the Idaho Public Depository Law, which provides that the county treasurer, quote, shall deposit and at times at times keep on deposit all public monies coming into his hands. 
The four-page letter sent to the commissioners is critical of Matheson's decision and cites codes and cases in arguing his position is wrong. Matheson said Wednesday that the arguments made in the letter regarding the funds in question were inaccurate. Matheson said the letter doesn't address his primary point, that Idaho's property tax statutes are unclear about what should be remitted to taxing districts and who keeps the penalties and interest money. He said clarity could come from the legislator or at the judicial level. He said the last thing he wants to do is send it to be doing is sending money to taxing districts and finding out later that he was wrong. While the letter says commissioners have the authority based on Idaho Code 31802 to direct the treasurer to, quote, faithfully perform his duties and distribute to said taxing districts the stat- statutory interest owed by taxpayers on delinquent property taxes, Matheson disagreed. Quote, the answer is no, he said when asked if commissioners had the authority. No, nah, nope. Matheson said he hopes taxing districts acknowledge there is ambiguity as to who gets the money. Quote, let's clear it up, he said. Oh, that answer sounds kind of waffly to me. Um, he's not necessarily saying no. He's kind of saying, well, you know, it's kind of, you know, ah, it's kind of ambiguous, you know, let's, let's figure it out together, gang. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, you know, that's, that doesn't sound very confident to me. Moving on Saturday, September 3rd, most county salaries going up again, again, that's, Herb Brooks from Miracle Reference Gang. This by Kay Thornbrew. County Commissioner's decision this week to reduce County Assessor Bella Kovacs' salary by half comes a year after the commissioners approved generous raises for themselves and other county elected officials, including Kovacs. Quote, a wage study indicated the county elected officials were underpaid and it was substantial, Commissioner Chris Villios told the Press Friday. A resolution passed by the commissioners September 9th, 2021 included the following salaries increases for the county's elected officials from fiscal year 2021 to fiscal year 2022, which is wrapping up now. So we've got Commissioner District 1 going from 76,545 to 90,133. District 2 Commissioner 76,545 to 90,133. Commissioner District 3, 75,044, a little little less, to uh, 90,133. County Clerk going from 74,261 to 91,727. Treasurer 74,261 to 89,638. Assessor, 74261 to 9388. Sheriff going from 91398 to $112,639 a year. Prosecuting attorney, 119469 to 130554 And the coroner going from 66344 to 78189 the 2021 resolution states the commissioners, quote, have voted to bring the elected official salaries up to market salary shown in the 2019 wage study conducted by the Kootenai County Human Resources Department. The county's 2022 budget adopted in 2021 included, or August of 2021, rather, included $2.4 million for salary increases. County Human Resources Director Sylvia Proud told commissioners during the September 9th, 2021 meeting that her office had been working for months developing a salary matrix for the general pay plan, the chief deputies and the attorneys. The Coeur d'Alene Press requested a copy of the 2019 wage study and received documents from a March 2021 meeting of the county's elected officials. The meeting materials included a salary matrix and schedule, but no market analysis information. The press was unable to reach Proud on Friday. 
2022-2023 county budget of $120 million approved this week by the commissioners included a 6% cost of living wage increase for all county employees and elected officials except for COVAX. Commissioners voted unanimously on Wednesday night to slash the assessor's salary, citing failure to perform duties of his office, as we've mentioned previously. Uh, yeah, well, um, as, as somebody who has been born and raised here, uh, everybody knows that North Idahoans just love when politicians make more money. That that puts a smile on everybody's face. <laughs> I'm not. I am not saying whether it is not uh, not um, not well earned or or well earned. Either way, I just uh, I know that um, here in North Idaho, uh, nothing puts a sm- nothing puts a smile on North Idahoans' faces, and to hear that politicians are going to make more money. That's that's always a good thing. <laughs> Moving on. Lifetime of Learning. This is by Devin Weeks. In the 40 years Nancy Nuttleman worked in the Coeur d'Alene School District, she taught more than 1,000 students. Those students have gone on to become valedictorians, neurosurgeons, sergeant majors, nuclear physicists, nurses, and musical directors. Some have even followed in their treasured first graders' teachers' footsteps and become teachers themselves. Quote, I've had a beautiful career, Nettleman said, seated outside her Coeur d'Alene home on a warm Friday morning. This summer, Nettleman officially retired from teaching. The 2021-2022 school year was the final chapter in her 31 years at Dalton Elementary School. She worked at a few other schools in the district, first embarking on this journey in education at age 21, teaching third grade at the District Developmental Center, where Venture High School is now. Nettleman's specialty was, and still is, reading and literacy, in which she earned her master's and specialist degrees. She spent much of her career helping students in literacy challenges such as dyslexia, comprehension, visual processing, and more. Nettleman gained classroom and small group experience, but truly honed her ability to work one-on-one with her students. She said people would sometimes ask her why she, why she dedicated, decided to stay in the classroom all those years rather than go elsewhere with her career. Quote, the generational impact of having children for a whole year is profound, she said, adding that while she taught first grade, she was also able to assist children with other learning styles and ensure all students received the instruction that addressed their individual needs. Quote, the hallmark of the teacher is to observe like a scientist and determine which learning styles will be the best student's strengths and work from a strength-based model, she said. The power of encouragement, support, and trust builds relationships in which turn ter- in which turn fuels literacy development. Dalton principal Jody Hil- uh, Hilton Brand said 31 years at Dalton gives Nulliman legendary status. Quote, think of the impact you have made over 40 years in this district. It is profound, Hil- Hil- uh, Hiddle- Hilton Brand wrote to Nettleman after she announced her retirement. Well, congratulations. That's uh, 40 years at a school is just, whew, that is incredible. And uh, I can't, you know, uh, it, it, dealing with kids day in and day out like that. Um, yeah, more, more, more power to you. Enjoy retirement. You have, <laughs> Nancy, you've definitely earned it. Congratulations. Moving on, Sunday, September 4th. Coeur d'Alene Lake Drive changes create confusion. This is by Bill Buley. As the vehicle turned right from Mullen Avenue onto Coeur d'Alene Lake Drive early Saturday afternoon, the driver veered close to the North Idaho Centennial Trail in the lane designated for bikes. The driver realized his mistake and suddenly veered left to return to the lane where he belonged. Later, the driver of a truck went to turn off Coeur d'Alene Lake Drive onto East Potlatch Hill Road, moving into the right-hand, lane, uh, right-hand turn lane that is shared with cyclists, according to the road markings. That prompted two surprised trail walkers to step back and look on. 
The confusion, while smoothing, the confusion, while smoothing out over the past weeks, continues at times on roughly a half-mile section of, the, of Coeur d'Alene Lake Drive, where the lanes were recently chip-sealed and reconfigured. The two eastbound lanes between Mullen Avenue and Potlatch Hill Road were reduced to one, and a new bike lane was created. There's a buffer lane for a short stretch close to Mullen that may eventually become a grassy swale or some type of barrier to separate the trail, as it is from most of the Coeur d'Alene Lake Drive. The two westbound lanes in that area also became one. There's a new wide center lane designated by yellow stri uh, striping for turns. That's not often used. You got all that? Well, you're not alone if you don't. That's that's totally totally makes sense if none of that made sense to you or a lot of it didn't make sense. The new alignment has left some some a bit baffled as to why the changes were made in connection with a trail that is popular with cyclists, walkers, and runners. Chris Bosley, city engineer of the Coeur d'Alene Lake Drive project, said that said they have received several calls from people questioning the changes. "Quote: There's a little confusion," he said. He added that the city is planning to additional pavement markings to help clear things up and better define the trail is only that the trail is only for pedestrians and cyclists. The ultimate goal is quote to improve safety for all users. The city recently issued a press release to explain the reconfiguration. As part of negotiations for the jurisdictional transfer of Coeur d'Alene Lake Drive from the Idaho Transportation Department to the city of Coeur d'Alene, a master plan was developed for the corridor, the release said. Public meetings were held, in Jan held and in January of 2018, the Coeur d'Alene City Council approved the master plan and the transfer of Coeur d'Alene Lake Drive from Sherman Avenue to Silver Beach Road. ITD transferred the remaining portion of Higgins Point to the East Side Highway District. Changes to the corridor were delayed until the surface could be improved to allow for the new stripping configuration per the approved Coeur d'Alene Lake Drive Master Plan, the release said. This year, Eastside Highway District and the city partnered to apply a chip seal surface to the corridor. Coeur d'Alene Lake Drive was also reconfigured through the restripping to the current three-lane section. In the short term, additional pavement markings will be installed on the Centennial Trail to better define it as it, strictly, as it is strictly used for pedestrians and bicyclists. Additional double white lines were installed to separate the bike lane from the Centennial Trail. A two-way left turn lane was added to provide safe left turn areas and separation between directions of travel. Prior to the restripping, no left turn lane was available at the Coeur d'Alene Resort Golf Course, according to the release. Okay, so it sounds like there's a method behind the madness. Um, but, you know, anytime that you got a master plan involved, it's it's got to be black and white, right? Got to make total sense. Best laid plans. All right. Moving on. Monday, September 5th headlines. Oversized loads coming through. More than 80 oversized windmill loads will pass through Coeur d'Alene as they depart the port of Lewiston bound for Canada over the next 2.5 months with the first load scheduled to leave this week. The largest loads measure up to 325 feet long and weigh 137,000 pounds. These things are, these are, we're talking about the, uh, the giant windmill blades that are, you know, the, the renewable energy ones. Uh, Richard's Transportation is delivering the windmill blades to Jenner, uh, Jenner, Alberta. Quote, this first load is the only one currently scheduled and will probably be an opportunity to refine the transportation plans, operations engineer Jared Hopkins said. After the initial run, we expect operations to increase in frequency. Nine loads will depart each week in groups of three from the port of Lewiston to travel north on US-95 to Coraline before heading east on Interstate 90 into Montana, according to a press release. Boy, they are going to have so much fun going through all of that construction. I just can't, I, I'm so excited for this. So excited to get stuck behind this truck. I'm just kidding. 
Not really. No, I don't think. In fact, anybody that I'm reading this to right now, everybody is shaking their heads right now going like, oh, yeah, I can't can't wait to get stuck behind a giant fan blade while I'm in single lane, while I'm in a single lane construction zone. That's going to be super fun. <laughs> oh, boy. These loads are expected to leave every other day with each load departing roughly 30 minutes apart. Pilot cars will escort each load on the one-night journey with flaggers in place to place to close the following intersections. Here we go. Mark these down in the back of your mind, everybody. Everybody who's driving here, you're going to need to know these spots. Avoid them at all costs because you don't want to get stuck in this. US 95 and Lincoln Avenue, Walnut Way and Coeur d'Alene. The I-90 and US 95 interchange in Coeur d'Alene. Oh, th- these are, e- yeah, these are, these aren't frequented intersections at all. Uh, the I-90 and US-95, okay, I said that. State Highway 128 and US-12 slash US-95 in Lewiston. Drivers can expect delays as the load moves through these intersections at night. Okay, so at least it's at night. It won't be, won't be too bad anyway. The transportation company arranged for a new on-ramp to help oversized loads make the turn from northbound US-95 onto eastbound I-90 in Coeur d'Alene. This ramp will not be open for other traffic. Traffic on the interstate will be slowed down by pilot cars to allow each load to merge. Yeah, again, um, I mean, it's super cool that they're letting us know about this. That That's cool that we're not just going to have to be stuck behind a giant flan- fan blade on the interstate. But uh, yeah, um, sometimes there's... As, as I say, I say every time that there's some sort of traffic jam on this show, like plan your routes accordingly. Some people don't have that have that ability. So um, while I understand it's a necessity, uh, also, if you can, just make sure you plan your route accordingly. And uh, if you see any giant fan blades, uh, probably try to do your best to avoid them so you don't get stuck behind them. Moving on. Headlines Tuesday, September 6th, East Sherman Pilot Project Deactivated. This is by Bill Buehling. When the Activate East Sherman pilot program on the 1600 block of East Sherman began in 2018, it was slated as temporary. Four years later, it's finally going away. Quote, it outlived its time frame, said Hillary Anderson, city of Coeur d'Alene community planner. The diagonal parking and the outdoor street seating in front of the Moon Time restaurant will be removed starting next week. The city's streets and engineering crew will be moving through the area starting September 12th to remove the white reflective bollards and revert the parking spaces and roadway center line back to its original configuration. There will be one eastbound lane with parallel parking again. The city-owned pocket park on this block will remain, along with the benches and planters on the sidewalk that were donated for the pilot program. Pilot project, rather. A survey of more than 500 found that many liked the diagonal parking and the bike parking. The planters and landscaping were popular. And most businesses owners liked the lower 25 mile per hour speed limit. And some said it provided an overall better look and feel to the area. I, I personally agree with that. But the cons were many. Diagonal parking was nice pulling in, but made leaving difficult because it meant backing into oncoming traffic and annoyed eastbound drivers were forced to stop. Yeah, that's... That did happen. Drivers trying to turn left or right from 17th heading onto Sherman had to creep out, visibility blocked by the diagonally parked vehicles. Quote, it put them in an unsafe situation, Anderson said. Other cons were added time for snow removal, issues with storm water in the street, and the landscaping and crosswalk art wearing out. Quote, there are more cons than pros, Anderson said. But they did learn things. Anderson said as part of the pilot project, the city wanted to see if diagonal parking could work on the other blocks of East Sherman, especially 13th to 17th. The answer was no, as there were just too many driveways. Diagonal parking just didn't work anywhere else, Anderson said. 
City is going isn't giving up on hopes to create positive transformation on East Sherman. It will consider other design options and try again later. That end of town has had mixed results with revitalization. I I there's a special place in my heart for East Sherman. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, growing up here, I think I spent a lot of time in Fernand, like on the lake and whatnot. So you you drive on that end. Um, I honestly never spent much time on East Sherman, but I always thought it was kind of just like the less. You know, maybe it's just because it's juxtaposed to the very busy other end of Sherman. So it was always like once you get, you know, you you get out of like the feeling of downtown Coeur d'Alene, you get as you go further down towards Sherman and it's a little less, you know, hustling and bustly. Um, I do. I do also grew up. I grew up going to uh, Fins and Feathers a lot. Um, uh, that little little fishing shop there on East Sherman. So, uh, yeah, it's I, I hope. Thing, good things happen on East Sherman. I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, I, this this plan, I always thought it was kind of strange when it first came in. Anybody who's driven in that area knows that like, oh, this is kind of weird. This kind of narrows right here for some reason. And they've got diagonal parking just here. Um, yeah, so it, it, that was – but it was a good experiment. And I don't think it was so just blatantly terrible that everybody hated it. Um, I, I remember parking there a couple of times and going, oh, this is, this is kind of inconvenient trying to back into parking so, or back into an active roadway. Um, so that was, that was kind of frustrating, but honestly, I, you know what? You're trying new things. Good, good on you guys. And, and you're admitting it didn't work. So there's also that too. Home of the lowest prices in all thing, all things outdoor since 1975, Black Sheep Sporting Goods is your one-stop shop for all your camping, fishing, hunting, and clothing needs. Open Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Check out Black Sheep's new location in the Silver Lake Mall. Be sure to also check out www.blacksheepidaho.com and receive free shipping on orders over $100. Black Sheep Sporting Goods, celebrating 45 years as your favorite sporting goods store. I gotta get a drink of Red Bull here real quick. Mmm. Oh, okay, ready to go again, gang. Let's get into it. By the way, another thing on East Sherman that I mentioned, um, a really cool arcade bar that I like. I'm a big fan of arcade bars just in general, but I, uh, there's not a lot of them. That's not a huge thing up here uh, in North Idaho. So um, when when one does pop up, uh, I'm, I'm all about it. So there's I also spend some time there too. And some good barbecue. There's lots of good things on East Sherman. Lots of great things on East Sherman, especially nowadays. It's, it is definitely getting uh, a little more revamped than what it used to be all right let's push north to the bonner county daily b headlines coming out of sandpoint starting with wednesday august 31st headline kingsland removed from zoning this is by daniel radford the bonner county commissioners meeting began with a public comment asking for due process and the right to defend herself from allegations of bias former zoning commissioner christina kingsland protested her removal from the zoning commission Kingsland was sacked from the Zoning Commission over anti-development social media posts and alleged ex parte communication. Apparently, she was removed August 16th but was not notified until August 24th by a phone call from Dan McDonald, chair of the Board of County Commissioners, after she attended the August 18th zoning meeting as a commissioner. According to Jim Frank, a resident of Camp Bay, he told Kingsland and a few others who had gathered at the public beach that they were trespassing on M3's property. He claimed Kingsland made an alarming comment about eminent domain and the need to limit growth in Idaho. 
Frank was disturbed by Kingsland's disrespect to the realty industry. He passed the information along to Eric Skinner, prompting their emails. Skinner, the owner of Riverstone Century 21st Realty, who brokered the sale of the Camp Bay to Bill Brownlee and M3 developers, said he was told by a neighbor that Kingsland had made comments about eminent domain potentially being a factor in the effort to protect the public beach. Skinner took offense to Kingsland having uh, having a supposed activist background, and Frank claimed that she was a radical and an anti-development extremist in the in the no-growth Idaho movement. Kingsland asked for an opportunity to answer for her actions and for an avenue to appeal this decision at the Bonner County Commissioner's 9 a.m. meeting on August 30th. Quote, As you are aware, you held a meeting on August 16th where you voted to remove me from the Zoning Commission, effective immediately, she said. And yet, I was in attendance as a commissioner at the meeting held August 18th at 5.30 p.m. I had no knowledge of this decision until I received a phone call from Chairman McDonald on August 24th. Only after emailing repeated requests for explanation did I receive written notice via email at 2 p.m. on August 29th, 13 days after the meeting where I was removed effective immediately. The letter contained two allegations, failure to follow procedural rules and political incorrect social media posts. However, the letter, quote, contained no descriptions of these offenses, nor did it list any of the comments uh, or who complained, Kingsland said. Quote, while I am known pa- a known passionate advocate for a rural lifestyle and for public access, since my appointment to the Zoning Commission, I have been careful to maintain an open mind and professional approach to each and every file presented, she said in her defense. Kingsland's terms were intended to last. Uh, ter- Kingsland's term was intended to last until September 30th, 2023. So as uh, <laughs> as I wouldn't say that I'm with the no growth movement. I don't even know if that's an actual thing or that was just kind of a reference. Um, you know, you know, like a broad reference of just people who don't want growth in North Idaho. I wouldn't say that. Um, I'm definitely in favor of controlled growth because I, I know that that's the realistic part. You know, people are coming to North Idaho. You can't just, um, you can't just build a wall around North Idaho or just stop people from coming up. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you have to have controlled growth. Um, but at the same time, you have to manage the idea that um, there's a reason why people come up here. It is beautiful. Um, North Idaho is. In my opinion, granted, I'm not a world traveler by any means, but um, it's one of the best places I've ever been to. It's beautiful up here. And uh, the way of life is something that other people want for themselves and they move up here. So um, I I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, if if there's some sort of professional ethical violation here, that's one thing. But I I think somebody's beliefs of just, you know – um, coming into a position with a, with a mindset of like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical of growth. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's fair in the sense of, I think that is a, a genuine reflection of a lot of people in our community. You know, a lot, a lot of nowadays, especially social media, where everything is so full of vitriol and, and anger, people just throw insults at each other. Uh, it, it's, you can, you can see it. There's a lot of frustration with the growth around here, especially from locals. So, um, yeah, I, I think that is a, that's a fair representative of the community that that individual is, you know, representing. I, I know they're not a representative. They're on the zoning commission. But, you know, that's, that's a true, accurate, you know, reflection of the community. So um, I don't know. Uh, it's, that's going to be a situation that's, that's up to them. But if, you know, once again, if there's rules in place and they're not supposed to be breaking ethical rules and they did something wrong, well, there you go. That's, that's what's going to happen to you. All right, moving on. Friday, September 2nd, bond set at 250 k for alleged arsonist. This is by Daniel Radford. 
A Priest Riverman charged with six counts of arson made his initial appearance in court Thursday. Ryan Nathaniel Green, 23, was charged with six counts of third-degree arson as well as being a persistent violator. Green will return to court for a preliminary hearing September 14th where the defense and prosecution will argue if there's enough evidence to proceed with the case. Due to the danger his arson poses to the public as well as the violent nature of his prior crimes and past behavior, which include lewd conduct with a child under 16 and threatening to kill himself and victims if they come forward, the prosecution requested a $500,000 bond. Justice Tara A. Hardin settled for $250,000. Green was apprehended after investigators determined he was, the, was proximate to several suspicious fires in the Priest River area. According to the affidavit, he is suspected of starting the Buzzsaw Fire the Monday Lane Fire, the Thursday Fire, the Little Thursday Fire, the Mangy Fire, the Nail Fire, and the Gunsmith Fire. Boy, oh boy. All were set between July 20th and August 4th of this year. Five out of the six of those fires began on Monday Lane. The Gunsmith Fire started two miles off of Highway 57. All the fires investigated were near Priest River, where the defendant lives. Bonner County Sheriff's Deputy Chad Vaught said he noticed similarities between the recent fires and several wildland firefighters in the same area during 2021. Deputies said their attention narrowed on green when both of his parents' cars were seen on game cameras leaving the scenes of the fires. Vaught asked to speak with Green on Wednesday after his routine probation meeting in Sandpoint for a prior conviction. According to Vaught, during the interview, which was recorded and is being retained as evidence, Green admitted to setting all of the suspicious fires on Monday Lane as well as two by Stone Johnny Peak. Okay, according to court records, Green said he would use gasoline, diesel, or lighter fluid as an accelerant. He was shown three locations off of Monday Lane and described in detail his fire starting process. Summarized in the affidavit was a written statement by Green where he admitted to starting five or six fires this year and another three last year. In the statement, Green apologized for his actions, accepted full responsibility, and said he needs counseling. According to court records, Green told investigators that he had always wanted to be a firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can't make this up. Wanted to be a firefighter, but that since what he was, but that since he was a convicted felon, he could not. He also said that proving work, uh, providing work for local fire agencies was part of his motive. Oh, you are such an asshole. Oh, who says that? I wanted to be a firefighter, but I couldn't do it because I'm a convicted felon. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure my my buddies and buddies in red or yellow I guess in this case wildland firefighters uh, have some work so I'm just gonna start fires that is some twisted logic my friend boy oh boy uh actually he's not my friend but that is some twisted logic right there green was arrested Wednesday on six counts of third degree arson that makes total sense according to IDL fire investigator Rod Weeks green's alleged arson spree did not lead to the loss of human life well that's good if convicted green faces 10 years in prison and or a fifty thousand dollar fine for each of the six charges as well as a persistent violator enhancement which could carry an additional five years to life an updated search of court records shows that green has been charged with three and convicted on two counts of lewd conduct with a child oh this is okay this uh this is a pile this guy's a pile he has also been charged with rape and kidnapping those two charges were dropped green's documented criminal history stretches back to 2015 when he was 16 years old okay this is not a good guy uh and uh kind of deserved to go to jail sounds like a let no not even allegedly because he was convicted of some stuff okay yeah Nope, 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 no, uh, no wavering on that one, gang. 
Moving on, pedestrian dies after being struck by car. Quick quick press release by the Idaho State Police. ISP said a Bonner County woman was killed after she was struck by a vehicle while walking along the highway near Kokola Loop Road early Thursday afternoon. ISP trooper said the 62-year-old female from Westmond was walking north along the east side of US-95 at about 12.47 p.m. when she was struck by a gold 1998 Toyota Camry driven by a 71-year-old female from Athol. The pedestrian was pronounced deceased at the scene. The driver of the Camry sustained no injuries. Family members have been notified, ISP said in the release. I, US 95 in the area of the crash was reduced to one lane during the investigation, which took approximately two hours. The incident remains under investigation. Moving on, Saturday, September 3rd, Kokolala couple spins way to big win. Uh, spins way to big win. Oh, okay, I get it. I got you, Carolyn. Sorry about that. Kokolala couple spins way to big win. This is by Carolyn Lobsinger. Standing there in front of the big wheel on Thursday, Jay Kassebaum was still still wasn't sure if his wife believes they won the Idaho lottery game. Quote, I told my wife, okay, we got to go to Boise because we just won a big spin, Kassebaum recounted Thursday shortly before he took his turn on the wheel to see what his total prize would be. Quote, we have to go spin the big wheel, and honestly, we're standing here in front of it, and I don't think she still believes me. A Coquilala resident, Kassebaum won $50,000, as did a duo from Boise who also took a shot at winning big spin on Thursday. Castlebaum has picked up the scratch game because he picked up the scratch had picked up the scratch game because it was new and looked interesting. His wife enjoys spinning games during their occasional trips to the casino, and he thought it would be fun. It took a few weeks after they th- bought the ticket to make it to the store to see if they could tell them if they had won or not. Due to some previously arranged travel commitments, Kassebaum set up his big spin date in Boise on his return trip from the United States' southern states, stopping along the way home to collect his $50,000 prize winnings from the big spin wheel. Quote, We really took the scenic route to get here, Kassebaum told Idaho Lottery officials after traveling nearly 4,000 miles through three time zones to make his big spin appearance in Boise. Kassebaum's winning ticket was sold at Westman Chevron in Sagal. The big spin went on sale in mid-July and is already more than half sold. Idaho lottery officials said there are three big spin event winning tickets remaining in the game. Okay, so teasing everybody a little bit to go out and uh, and gamble a little bit. Hey, uh, as as somebody, I, gambling can definitely be abused, and if you've got if you've got a gambling problem, there are definitely resources out there to help. But um, you know, I I think in in limited ways, if it's a fun little getaway to blow off some steam, and you've got the disposable income, uh, you know, state lottery it goes to a, it goes to a good cause. It, it it funds a lot of great things in in our state. So uh, while I'm not going to sit here and say dump your life savings into lottery tickets. Uh, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. Uh, definitely um, for, for you know, every once in a while to have some fun, it, it does go to a good cause. Moving on, Lighthouse employees keep busy giving back. This is by Bo White Eagle. The Lighthouse Giving Committee, uh, Committee has been busy this summer giving back to the community. The group of Lighthouse employee owners are com- – the group of Lighthouse employee owners – are committed to finding ways to help local groups and nonprofits. Recently, the team coordinated donations of nearly 25,000 to local Sandpoint charities. One of the core values at Lighthouse is stewardship, Lighthouse brand manager and employee owner Teresa Lindholm said. Because of that decision, dedication to that concept, Lindholm said the company is committed to giving back and making a positive impact in the communities it serves. That includes, she added, actively supporting and engaging with community initiatives throughout Bonner County and beyond. Quote, 
The giving community at Lighthouse was established several years ago to help our employee owners give the, to those in need. The community, the committee assesses the needs of our community and selects worthy causes that align with our company's mission and core values, Kelly Pryor, Lighthouse CEO, said. That's why during the month of June, Lighthouse donated to several local nonprofits providing support for children and families, including Lake Ponderay School District Summer Lunch Program, Food for Our Children, Unique Center for Athletes of All Needs, and the Bonner County Skate Park Association. That skate park association is totally rad. I don't know if rad's a thing anymore. They, skaters used to say that and when I used to play Tony Hawk on the N64. The federally funded lunch program that provides daily meals to over 200 children was put on hold while the district's nutrition warehouse undergoes renovations. In response, the Bonner County Food Bank, East Bonner County Library, Food for Our Children, and Kanixu Land Trust worked closely with the school district to establish an interim 11-week summer lunch program solution. Lighthouse donated funds and during the month of June through August volunteered hours to help fulfill two weeks' worth of, weeks's worth of lunches. In addition, Lighthouse donated funds that will go toward putting a second piece of fruit in the take-home lunch program for children for the remainder of 2022. Lindholm said You Can, which received a portion of the $25,000 donation, empowers special needs, th- needs individuals through fitness and nutrition by providing a place for them to thrive through activities and social interaction. Lighthouse's donation will allow those centers to continue providing free weekly classes for more than 45 unique athletes. Other funds went to the Bonner County Skate Park Association to help build a new rad skate park. See, there we go. I just threw that just threw that in there, which will bring more access to skateboarding for Bonner County residents. While the committee gave all summer gave all summer long, they're not done. Life out official said, quote, the next big activity we have coming is our annual holiday of giving event. This includes a fall for food drive to help support the food bank for Thanksgiving and an adopt a family event for Christmas, Lindholm said. Oh, sounds like a great group, and those are all fantastic causes to give to, especially the the, the skate park one. Moving on, Tuesday, September sixth, headlines. Uh, we're going to start out with this. There are so throughout the Bonner County Daily Bees, uh, starting with from Saturday and working our way up. There are fire updates in all of these right now. The majority of the wildland fire uh, fires that are going on right now in North Idaho are in Bonner and Boundary counties. Um, so there are numerous updates going on. I'm not going to go through uh, each one of these updates is very in depth and goes through each fire that's currently burning. If you are in those areas, if you see smoke, if you're affected by this, I, I recommend checking out these stories to find out if there are closures in your area. And always keep an eye on that ready, set, go level of evacuation stuff if you're in an area of a wildfire. Very, very important stuff. All right, moving on. Lake levels and area set to drop. This is by Carolyn Lobsinger. Bonner County's two main lakes, Pond Ray and Priest, are set to begin their move to their new winter pool levels later this month. The drawdown of Lake Pond Ray will start September 19th and the drawdown of Priest Lake will begin October 10th. Lake Ponderay will be held above an elevation of 2,060 feet until a full draft begins October 1st, followed by a gradual draft until November 15th. Winter pool elevation needs to be reached by that date to ensure shoreline kokanee, quote, are not left high and dry, Molly McCannon, Lakes Commission Executive Director, said in a press release. Quote, kokanee are an important food source for threatened bull trout and many other species, McCannon said. While not required, a winter pool elevation of 2,051 feet has been the norm for the past 10 years, allowing for 11.5 feet of stored water before it is lowered for flexible winter pool operations, McCannon said. That operation allows the Bonneville Power Administration to generate power in the winter by raising the lake and then releasing that water. Quote, 
This is rarely needed, so it would be preferred that Lake Ponderay not be used as the dial for this infrequent operation, she said. There are plenty of reservoirs on the Columbia River system less populated and less dependent on year-round water recreation. At Winter Pool, McCannon, McCannon said not only is scenic beauty lessened, there is also far less fish habitat. Boat launches and docks are left high and dry, making access to the lake difficult for anglers and first responders alike. While there was a time when the lake was held at 2,055 feet in the winter, McCannon said that the last time that happened was in 2012. For Lake Ponderay, the fall down, uh, down drawdown generally begins after September 18th or the third Sunday of the month, whichever is later. On Prius Lake, the drawdown begins on October 10th. Stable summer lake elevation is generally reached in mid-June and held between 2,062 uh, 2, feet and 2,062.5 feet for recreation. On Priest Lake, the Idaho Department of Water Resources will begin its fall drawdown on October 10th. Water flow to the Priest River will increase each day to achieve winter pool by lowering the lake 3 feet from its current pool of 2,440 feet by November 1st. What is your relationship status with your bank? It's time to go steady with Bank CDA. You want local, you want flexible, you want Bank CDA. To learn more, please visit bankcda.com. All right, takes us into Shoshone News Press headlines for Friday, September 2nd. Headline, Getting the Pieces Together. This is by Josh McDonald. It's more questions than answers for everyone involved in the concession stand project at Teeters Field. While football season is already well underway, the first home game of the season for the Kellogg Wildcats is Friday, so already happened on Friday. Kellogg Wildcats uh, definitely won that game. Friday evening, and many patrons are wondering what happened to the city's promise to have the new concession stand completed at the iconic venue by opening night. Teetersfield is owned by the city of Kellogg, but allows the schools to use it at their discretion. The, the how we got here portion of this story is quite lengthy, but it explains how the city got to this point and what they're doing to try and rectify it. According to City of Kellogg Special Projects Manager Rod Plank, a few years ago the Idaho High School Activities Association told the city that the old concession stand and restroom facility on the west end of the field had to be removed due to its proximity to the football field. That prompted the city officials to begin exploring their options for building a new snack shack. In 2020, the city put together a project out for bid and only received a single one back to the tune of $235,000, about $80,000 higher than they anticipated. Plank explained that for what they were looking for, that bid was entirely out of the question, and so they decided to put the project on hold. Quote, because that initial bid we got, uh, we got was beyond our financial capabilities, we decided to wait a year and try again, Plank said. We got some new bids, but they only escalated that price. This forced us to mothball it for the time being. The plan was for a simple metal structure that would be that would house concessions and restrooms while also remaining handicap accessible. This would be built on the westernmost section of the bleachers, which had historically been ignored by fans when it came to finding a seat at the venue. It was also determined that the concrete in the in that section needed to be replaced in order to make the steps of the facility safe to use. Local concrete tract, uh, contractor Tony Silva volunteered some of his services to the city and poured a nice new pad for the new concession stand, as well as a smaller section of concrete to make a handicap-accessible landing spot at the top of one of the middle covered sections of the stands. Since that was completed in June, no other work has been done regarding the concession stand. This has caused some frustration from the Kellogg High School patrons, including city residents, parents, and athletes, and alumni many of whom are aware of the, oh, that over $160,000 has been contributed to the project from the Kellogg School District, Shoshone County, and other generous donors. 
Plank explained to the news press on Thursday that based upon the foundation that it was laid, the blueprints for the structure had to be changed. The city had been waiting on those change plans for some time, but Plank did not say that they had been received in earlier weeks. Instead of a simple metal building, the project now calls for custom trusses and other milled lumber in order to be completed. With the plans in hand, the city now has to find the materials for the build. Plank also admitted that right now, with supply chains in flux, that the total cost of the project is unknown and likely wouldn't be made until, until close to the project's conclusion. When that conclusion will be, that's another question to which Plank and the city don't currently have an answer to. On those busy school nights with hours of sports practice and dance classes, when you just don't have time to make dinner, your local McDonald's has got the whole family covered. Whether you get a happy meal with Chicken McNuggets for the kids or a Big Mac for adults, dinner is sure to be quick, easy, stress-free, and satisfying. Your locally owned and operated McDonald's is located at 820 West Cameron Avenue in Kellogg, Idaho. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. Moves into Get Her Done by Molly Roberts. Volunteers for the Lions Park Playground Committee build worked through scorching temperatures, flash lightning storms, and heavy wind, but didn't allow that to slow them down. The Lions Park Playground Committee, LPPC, leader Jenna Grant Arthun has been working tirelessly to ensure this park has come to fruition, and this is only the beginning. Jenna, Jenna also winning All-American Rejects tickets from the show. Congratulations to her. Talks of, the Lions, talks of the Lions Park project began last April, with Grant Arthun working with the executive director of Silver Valley Economic Development Corporation, Paige Olson, and Osborne City Councilwoman Marcy Heyman, thus forming the LPPC. The trio held a party in Lions Park in May, creating buzz and excitement over the new park and sparking volunteer interest. After that, things were moving steadily until a package arrived er, uh, a package arrived early. The new playground equipment uh, equipment arrived in July despite being scheduled to arrive in October, causing the project to move forward faster than planned. This only caused a slight hiccup, motivating Grant Arthun to raffle off the older play structure, which was won by a local family. Quote, the most difficult part of the build was the prep work, making sure everything was measured off correctly, digging the holes. After that, it went pretty smoothly, said Grant Arthun. Among the many volunteers were Osborne Mayor Kip McGilvery, who used his experience with his contracting business, McGilvery Environmental, to help prep the site. Quote, we had a ton of people show up to volunteer, explained Grant Arthun. Friday, we had so many volunteers, it was honestly hard to delegate and give everyone a job. I was worried about not having enough volunteers, so that was incredible. The park has received funding through grants. However, grants often come with specifics on what, what they can be used for. This is why LPPC continues to fundraise for the park as they as the more money they goes into it the better it can be for the community. Many Silver Valley community members donated items for them from their businesses to be raffled off and the money was put toward the park. LPPC has had over 20 baskets to raffle off and sold specialized Lions Park merchandise. I have one of the shirts there, super cool. The park is currently planning to have the wood chips spread out by the end of the day, with the weather, time, and workers permitting. After the park has been open to the public, Grand Arthun plans a grand opening in the following weeks. The fitness court is being delivered September 6th, so the, all the prep work is being completed on the site now, but winter is coming, which might slow down the process of finalizing the court. The long-term plan of LPPC includes a bathroom, ADA-compliant paths, and more. But it's important to remember that this takes time, staffing, money, and weather, and permitting weather. For updates on the Lions Park and ways to support the project, visit Facebook group Lions Park Project. Uh, definitely, definitely a cool thing that uh, has been going on in Osborne just down the road from the, the news press office. 
Watts Appliances have been providing incomparable customer service to the Silver Valley for over 50 years. The family-owned and operated business has a wealth of knowledge regarding appliances and the brands they sell. Whether you're in need of a new washing machine or have questions about refrigerators, Watts Appliance is ready to help. Visit wattsappliance.com or stop by and visit at 3 North Division Street in Pinehurst. Yes, when I got to that part, I did snap my fingers and point at my computer screen at, at nothing. Literally pointed at nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving in. Thursday, September 6th headlines. District 2 firefighters commissioners agree on new labor contract. I worked this one up myself. Negotiations between the Shoshone County Fire District Number 2 commissioners and the West Shoshone County Firefighters IAFF L2034 have finally been put to bed as the two sides have come to an agreement on the outstanding issues that kept a new labor contract from being signed. Union President and Lead Negotiator Tyler Rochford previously explained to the news press that while agreements had been reached on the topics of holiday pay, vacation time, and living requirements, the issue of a base pay and paramedic pay increase remained a sticking point. Following a special August 3rd meeting between the two sides at the Shoshone County Fire District No. 2 Firehouse in Kellogg, though, a wage increase no longer seems to be an issue. According to a revised wage scale document that had been agreed upon by both parties during the Commissioner's normal meeting on August 17th, nearly all firefighters, regardless of their level of time of service, will see at least a $2.50 raise from what they currently make. Entry-level firefighter pay has been raised 22% from $13.12 an hour to $16 an hour. Paramedics will also receive an additional 10% raise on top of their base pay to recognize the numerous hours of clinical time and schooling they have completed. Of the 10-person staff at Shoshone County Fire District Number 2, too shy of a full staff, all are certified EMTs, five are advanced EMTs, and none are paramedics. Pay does increase for firefighters at all levels when they hit certain longevity benchmarks. Citing numerous reasons such as inflation, rising costs of living, and simply making wages more competitive to attract and retain employees, the West Shoshone County firefighters initially asked for a 30% base pay, uh, base pay raise, but Rochford said he is pleased with the compromise that was reached. Quote, when I sat down in the last meeting we were that we were negotiating and they handed me this longevity scale with our raises, I was very excited, he said. I was almost speechless. Negotiations can be stressful and emotions can run high. So it was great to see us come together and agree on something that will hopefully keep employees around longer. He added that an option was added in the contract and the new contract, which will take effect in October, that allows both sides to discuss wage changes every year, which opens the door for annual cost of living adjustments. Rochester believes this raise, combined with the improved holiday pay, vacation time, living requirements, will incentivize new employees to come to the district and motivate veterans to stay. Quote, not being able to keep people is our biggest problem, Rochford said in a previous interview. It's the union's opinion that we want to keep as many firefighters as we can because this area is so large and we are so short-staffed. Shoshone County Fire District Number 2 is hosting an open house event on September 24th. For more information, visit Shoshone County Fire District Number 2's Facebook page. Good for them. Moving even further north to the Bonners Ferry Herald headlines coming out of Thursday, September 1st. Headline, August 30th school bond fails for a second time. This by Emily Bosung. For the second time, the Bowder County School District's bond for a new Valley View Elementary improvements across the district has failed to get the two-thirds majority of voters need, votes needed to pass. There were 1,422 yes votes, or 40.94 percent, while 2,051 voted no, or 59.06. A total of 3,473 votes were cast, with 47 percent voter turnout. At the cutoff of registration, 7,338 Boundary County residents were registered to vote. For absentee voters, 510 voted yes, or 62.65%, and 310 voted no, or 37.35%. 
At the March election, a total of 1,158 people voted yes, and one, uh, 995 voted no. In March, there were 7,227 registered voters in Boundary County. This is a 2,315 voter increase from the March election. Since the March election, BCSD officials had an independent company conduct a survey to see what voters would support. BCSD adjusted according to the data from the survey and removed repairs to athletic features and other improvements that ran as part of the March bond. In addition, elementary and secondary school emergency relief federal funding were used for improvements at Mount Hall and Naples Elementary Schools over the summer. The school district can run the bond again. In the past, the Board of Trustees has requested recommendations by the facility committee before doing so. As of September, the Bonners Ferry High School bond will have dropped off and taxes will reflect that. Quote, our teachers, support, our teachers, support staff, and administrators will be ready to greet students with smiles on Tuesday, BCSD Superintendent Jan Bayer said, told the, told the Herald. The election results are disheartening. We will continue to teach our students, and we will go back to the drawing board. All right, last thing coming out of the Bonners Ferry Herald, last story for today. Group seeks to recall Boundary County Clerk. This is also by Emily Bosong. A recall being organized by uh, organized against Boundary County Clerk Glenda Poston is claiming election fraud in connection to the Boundary County Library. Oh, here we go again with the library. Cherry Granger, Boundary County Elections Clerk, told the Bonners Ferry Herald that the petition for Poston's recall was submitted August 19th by Lee Harristick. A former Boundary County Library Board trustee, Harristick is the father of one of the self-proclaimed whistleblowers involved in the tort claim against the library district. Harristick informed the county staff at that attorney Jeffrey Bowler is working with the recall. Bowler is also representing those who filed the library tort claim. Among those filing, filing that claim is Bowler's wife, Dana, who applied for the library director's position in 2019. On Monday, August 22nd, the petition organizers returned to the clerk's office to submit the petition with 20 required signatures and a blank petition document. At the first review by Hull, the required explanation exceeded 200 words, which is not allowed by Idaho Code. The group was told, told the recall petition had to be revised and resubmitted. As of that afternoon of August 31st, the petition has been resubmitted for approval. Claims the petition was not approved due to Poston, Poston being on vacation or the staff refused to accept the petition are incorrect, Granger said. The petition was rejected simply because organizers did not follow county procedures, she said. She added that having a petition approved by the legal counsel is not required by Idaho Code, but is something the county likes to do. Jason Hancock, deputy of the Idaho Secretary of State for Elections, told the Bonners Ferry Herald that due to the timeline of the petition, it will not be on the ballot for the November general election, even if enough valid signatures were collected once the petition is approved. As of August 31st, the petition has not yet been approved and circulating the petition is not yet allowed. September 23rd is the deadline for, county, for the county clerk to order a recall election for the November 8th general election. The recall organizers may have 75 days to collect signatures, but they must follow the September 23rd deadline in order to be on the November ballot. Hancock said that being so deep in the calendar, he didn't think there would be enough time to collect signatures. One obstacle for the recall is Poston running unopposed for county clerk on the November ballot. Idaho code only allows that an official may be recalled for the term they are serving. If Poston is recalled in November, she would be removed, only to be sworn in again as clerk in January of 2023. Per Idaho code, once the petition is approved, circulating it can, it can begin once Poston has been in office 90 days in her next term. Hancock said the petition can go through the approval process sooner than Poston's first 90 days, but the 75-day countdown of collecting valid signatures starts the date of approval. Boy, this is a, a, a very long 
story on on this recall vote. Um, if you guys are interested in this saga, I, I just it's it's always I appreciate Emily Boson covering it, but um, boy, these these stories go way in depth on uh, stuff that that <laughs> stems from the 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 saga of the Bonner Server Library. Once again, we'd like to thank Andy's Heating and Cooling for sponsoring this episode. Andy's Heating and Cooling has been selling and installing furnaces, air conditioners, fireplaces, barbecues, and much more in new and existing homes since 1972. Fifty years later, Andy's Heating and Cooling is still doing business in the old, the old-fashioned way with a handshake. Come and visit Andy's showroom at 7,800 North Government Way in Coeur d'Alene, which features all the latest wood-fired stoves, pellet stoves, and gas stoves from Quadrifire, Heatilator, and Heat and Go. Andy's also carries a the big green egg smokers and grills join the andy's heating team uh, on friday september 16th from 9 a.m to 6 p.m and saturday from september 17th to 9 a.m to 4 p.m to celebrate 50 years of operations in north idaho with special deals grilled and smoked food and raffles all right everybody Whew, i feel like i haven't taken a breath in an hour and 10 minutes and that's how long this episode was but you know what we covered double the amount of headlines in this episode so apologies if it seemed like a little longer i know we like to keep this trying to around an hour uh going a little over hope you guys uh, appreciate that and you know what if you're just interested in just some of the stories these are the little time indexes in the show notes that i put down there and you can just jump around whatever you listen to whatever you want guys it's not it's not required that you listen to this from start to finish i mean i appreciate it it's how you get all my jokes. It's how you hear all the all the fun things we talk about. But you know what? If you're just looking for the need to knows, if you're just looking for the headlines that are in your area, you can definitely check those out. Just check out the sh- the, the show notes and find little timestamps and go right to them. All right, everybody. Thanks again. Thanks for having fun with me. And I'll see you a little later. Bye-bye.